My hat's off to you, teens. I can't imagine myself in high school uh, taking a stand for Jesus. I, I just remember how into myself I was. There's just no way I would have done that. I mean, I, I would have been as likely to be a disciple of Jesus in kindergarten as I would in high school. I just needed extra time. But it's really good to be here on the front edge of the teen service. We know that that's the second service, but you guys are great. Great to have a brother down from Myrtle Beach and even from Connecticut. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> well, I'm Douglas Jacoby, and we're in our series on Jesus and his relationships. And we'll be talking, I've been given this assignment, Jesus and his enemies, which we'll get into a little bit. But I, I usually start my messages with a little update on the teaching ministry that many of you are connected with and pray for. So I'm just going to share a little bit. Um, last weekend, we were really pleased to host Brandon Redler, Guy Hammond of Strength and Weakness Ministries uh, with these particular talks. They were just uh, fantastic. As Tom mentioned, the Decoding the New Testament series is complete. PowerPoints, PDFs, links, all at the uh, website, North River website. I've got a new book that's coming out in a couple weeks. See that old guy in the picture there? He looks old enough to be his own grandfather. <laughs> Last week I started teaching uh, in a master's program through uh, Rocky Mountains uh, School of uh, Ministry and Theology. I've got students from lots of countries, uh, only three Americans, but that's okay. The month of August, um, I was in Georgia, the Republic of Georgia. That's a church building from the 400s. My friend Christian Ray, who I traveled with. Tbilisi is an amazing place. That's some of the people who came from uh, as far as Siberia and Finland to be part of us. Everything was in Russian. Beautiful city, 1,500 years old. Got to see some of it by boat. But really, I was there to teach. And after Georgia to, uh, to Azerbaijan, which is a Muslim country, and that fly landed on me. That's a Muslim fly, kind of. I mean, Azerbaijani fly, anyway. I've never seen one like that. I had a chance to go to D.C. on a little father-daughter trip. We definitely wanted to see the Museum of the Bible, and she bought the tickets, and I was really thrilled to go. If you ever go up there, you should go. Um, I, I, when I went last year, it was free, no more, but it's still worth it, all five floors of it. We got to see the monuments, the war memorials, did everything pretty much on foot. But we even went to the Spy Museum, and that was my, uh, my mission, my car there, and that was the car that I drove or else it was James Bond. The Capitol, a really cool place is the Library of Congress, which to me is more like a museum than a li library, but very beautiful. Supreme Court, liberty and justice for all. The month of September, almost no travel. We went to Canada at the very beginning for the wedding of Guy Hammond and Laura Hammond, who were here just a few days ago. And then last week, I spoke in uh, Chattanooga, which is only, if you're new to the area, it's only two hours up the road. Uh, with Dave Hedrick and speaking for a ministry called Reasonable Faith. Before we go to October, I'd like to tell you some of the places I didn't go in September. I didn't go to boring Illinois because I don't like to be bored. I certainly didn't go to greasy Oklahoma. These are actual cities. Toadsuck, Arkansas just seemed a bit risky. 
you know, hygienically, epidemiologically, just didn't seem like a good idea because there could be consequences, like consequences to Mexico. Now, Goose Pimple Junction, I'm sorry if you're from there, we're laughing at your expense, but it's nothing like the state to the west, West Virginia, with cities called Cucumber, Kale, Pilot, Tornado, Hurricane, Big Bottom. There's even a Big Bottom uh, Missionary Baptist Church, Gasaway, and Big Ugly. I didn't go to any of those places in September because I'm not really traveling much in September. But October, be in, in uh, Calgary, Winnipeg, Canada. I'll be in London, Birmingham, and also Israel. So plenty of stuff. Thank you for your support, your prayers. Thank you for partnering with this ministry. Last week, Jeff Hickman did a message on Jesus as a friend of sinners. And it was superb. If you weren't there, you know, you can still watch these things. Go through the North River website. It tied in perfectly. It couldn't have been more perfect, tying in with our Strength and Weakness weekend, which challenged us, called us higher uh, to love people regardless, regardless of lifestyle choices they've made that you may or may not approve of. It was sobering. It was heartwarming. It was so encouraging. Friend of Sinners. And so I'm building on that right now, and we're going to be looking at Jesus and his enemies. But last week, gracious, non-judgmental love and hospitality, things that we better do if we're Christians and if we're leaders. Well, there are a lot of passages about Jesus and enemies. We're going to look at two of them up close in the remaining minutes of this message. But certainly, that won't capture all of it. Jesus' enemies included the religious establishment and especially the Pharisees. Not all of them, there were some good eggs. Nicodemus, John 3, was a good egg. But Jesus, in Matthew 23, lays out his critique of the Pharisees. You know, he didn't always tell his enemies what he thought, but this is scathing. It's an incredible chapter. Some people think he did it, he lost control. I don't think so. Uh, the Pharisees had tremendous responsibility because they were closest to the Bible, probably of all the groups in Judaism. We think of the Samaritan woman. She had had five husbands, and now she was living with a guy not married to her poor life. But she was a Samaritan, and Samaritans were not viewed very kindly in Israel. They were viewed as half-breeds and religious degenerates. Jesus was in a very different place from her, but he did not consider her to be an enemy. Yes, she had things to change, but there was compassion in Jesus. It was kind of the points like this in Jeff's message and in the Strength and Weakness weekend uh, that really made me think, what is my attitude towards people who just have such a different understanding uh, of God? Well, I don't agree with them. I think they're wrong, but I can still like them. As people, it's, it's so easy if you disagree with someone to just distance yourself and make a funny face. Zacchaeus, not so popular because he was a tax collector. And tax collectors, I don't think, have been popular in any country, in any culture, in any century. <laughs> For reasons I don't need to state. The Gentiles in general, you know, in the Gospel of Luke, it's a huge theme. And Jesus' first sermon and I think it was his last sermon also in Nazareth. I don't think he went there again, did he? He's, he's challenging the prejudice. 
He's exposing the lack of love for non-Jews, for the Gentiles. And they're livid with him, and they attempt to kill him. But it's a little too early, like three years too early. But God loves the Gentiles, and this is made abundantly clear in the ministry of Jesus in the Old Testament, too, and all around the New. The daily prayer, which we know many Jewish men prayed in Jesus' time, was a praise to God and thanks that I was not born a Gentile or a slave or a woman. I'm not approving of the prayer. I'm just telling you. It's a well-known prayer. Thanking God that I wasn't born as a slave, a woman, or a Gentile. Jesus uh, interacts with Herod Antipas. Really, Herod Antipas sins for Jesus. He wants to see a miracle. He wants to see something sensational. And that's what inspired those lines in Jesus Christ Superstar. Prove to me that you're no fool. Walk across my swimming pool. Prove to me that you're divine. Turn my water into wine. Jesus doesn't give him the time of day. He's not being rude, but with, so, with some enemies, and Herod's definitely a, a totally ungodly person, it would be pointless. He would just make it worse if he even opened his mouth. So loving one's enemies doesn't necessarily mean always engaging. The, we have the arrest party. Peter is prepared. He's got a sword. He tries to use violence. And Jesus rebukes him. Jesus has an attitude of love even toward the arrest party. So you've got the high priest there. You've got soldiers. You have the high priest's uh, right-hand guy, his lieutenant. That's the one Peter was trying to decapitate. It's a good thing he missed. But even there, we see Jesus' great love. He loves those who orchestrated his arrest and his execution. This is just mind-blowing. Because you're like me. You've seen plenty of movies or shows, and you see the anger and the hostility and the sarcasm that uh, someone who's arrested may have for the law, for the police, for the authorities. Uh, Jesus, it's nothing like that. He will speak the truth to them, but he's always hoping that the word will, will, will take and that people will end up coming to a saving relationship with God. And as we know from the book of Acts, there were a number of people. It's not just the people in the gospel uh, of the council, like, like uh, Joseph of Arimathea and also Nicodemus. Uh, one of the best verses in Acts is Acts 6-7. I mean, you've got a great number of priests becoming Christian. These are Jewish priests uh, serving in the temple. I thought of Pilate as an enemy of Jesus, the one who could have set him free, but chose to do the expedient thing. And unlike Herod, Jesus does interact. Pilate is, is pretty waffly, but they have quite a conversation. You can read about that, different versions, but I, I like the one on John 18 the most. And it gave Pilate a chance. Well, so what I'm saying is you can learn about Jesus and enemies by just focusing on the four Gospels. Or uh, you can look at Romans 5, where Lamar took us uh, earlier in the communion message, because that ties in incredibly well. But these are the two texts we're going to look at. We're going to start at the Matthew passage, okay? And these are passages we, we should know. These are passages that define us as Christians. Matthew 5, starting in 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. 
If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. <laughs> Already, are you not challenged by this? Uh, your father or your mother says, clean your room. And you not only clean your room, but you clean your sister's room. I mean, this is the extra kind of mile. That's just, that's not natural at any age. It's not like that becomes natural just because you, you graduated high school or you went to college. And even if you're being compelled, you could say, well, you're forcing me to go one mile. You're not forcing me to go two, so I'll stop here. That's a good attitude. In other words, don't try to catch up. Don't uh, retaliate by words or deeds, acts of terrorism or whatever it is. Uh, we tend to be very uh, angry when people uh, infringe on our rights. Jesus continues, you have heard it was said, love your enemy, love your neighbor, and hate your enemy. And, and love your neighbor is a, that's from Leviticus 19.18. Hate your enemy. No one knows really where that comes from exactly, but it's certainly how people thought then and do now. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. Sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I mean, you could be the head of some drug cartel. The sun still comes up. It'll still rain if you need it. Uh, God doesn't discriminate in that way. His gifts, his common grace are for all people. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? I think he's saying pretty much none. Because don't even tax collectors do that? Zacchaeus, think of last week's message. And if you greet only your own people, whatever that means, um, what are you doing more than others? So greet people even like from Connecticut, all right? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, when he says be perfect, he's not saying something impossible. In every area of your life, you have to be totally perfect. There's a context here, and the context is loving your enemies, no fighting back, no retaliating, no hatred, no sarcasm. Wow. And this has rightly been understood as one of the most challenging and important texts in the New Testament. Mahatma Gandhi was interesting. He said, Christians, he seems, are the only ones who don't understand what Jesus meant when he said, love your enemy. His view of Christianity distorted was that basically this had been rejected. Now, you may say, yes, but with our enemies, we have to deal with them very severely. Well, the government will do that, or the army will do that, or someone else will. But if you're going to follow the teaching of Jesus, you have to obey this paragraph. Wow. Now, our second text, our final text, is from Luke 23. Now, you know, you, even if you don't know the numbers, you kind of know this verse already. But let me give uh, uh, the frame. We're talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. When they came to the place called the skull, or Golgotha, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, 
forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And the people stood watching. The rulers sneered. He saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah. The chosen one of the soldiers also came up and mocked him. Uh, Surrounded by people who are having a laugh at your expense. But it's not just those who mock him. It's those who orchestrated his execution, which was uh, totally wrong, totally unjust, and those who made sure he suffered. So we're focusing on verse 34 here. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. You knew this verse before, right? Right. But we have to to look at it in the context because it's easy You know, someone accidentally steps on your toe in a crowd. Hopefully you don't shout at them or swear. It's easy to, you know, they say, pardon me. It's not really no issue because you haven't really been wronged. Uh, You certainly haven't been inconvenienced that much. But will you have been tortured and tortured some more and mocked and tried and mocked again and tortured some more and then crucified uh, and to say, Father, they don't don't know what they're doing, that's just amazing. Because the way I look at it, they knew exactly what they were doing. And they were very good at it. And I'm not saying Jesus was wrong, but he is he's viewing others in a way that is very, very rarely um, the way we look at others. It's not just benefit of, the, benefit of the doubt. And by the way, he's not saying, I forgive them and they're all saved. Everyone will be saved no matter what. Nothing like that. But he's talking about personally forgiving them. Uh, there's no malice here. Um, he, he realizes that many people in the same position might have done the same thing. It's when we cannot even imagine doing wrong. We're criticizing someone else, but it, like I would never do that. Someone's rude in traffic. You've never been rude in traffic. You're a hypocrite if you criticize others. Uh, Jesus is Amazing, obviously, his lack of hypocrisy. But these are the classic texts. Now, let's see how they apply. This means pray for our enemies, don't curse them. Almost Jesus' final words were forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Muhammad, just not to pick on Muslims, but it's, it's well known, acknowledged. His final words were a curse on Christians and Jews. Uh, the idea of cursing your enemies is certainly approved but not in the New Testament. Second, don't get sucked into the rhetoric of hatred and polarization like in the media. We don't have political enemies if we're Christians because we're already in a different political system. It's called the kingdom of God. Where other people are, in a sense, is irrelevant to us. Not irrelevant to our daily lives, but irrelevant to our ultimate concern. And we're not to have enemies that way. Doctrinal enemies... Now, I'm not saying that whatever you believe and teach is fine between you and God, and I'm sure it'll be okay, because the Bible speaks clearly about false teaching and and true teaching. But the question isn't so much, uh, do you you, uh, accept, do you approve? It's more the question of acceptance. When uh, Priscilla and her husband, Apollos, I mean Apollos, Aquila, when they were, were teaching Apollos, they accepted him, they treated him with great respect, even though he had a different viewpoint. 
We don't have doctrinal enemies. Someone goes to a different church. Uh, that's not a doctrinal enemy. I mean, someone could be wrong. We're wrong on things too, you know. But we don't need to have enemies in that way. There needs to be engagement and love. And yet, don't be unbiblically sappy or sentimental. Psalm 110 says Jesus will crush his enemies under his feet. Of course, that's talking about the judgment day. And by the way, Satan is Jesus' enemy. Uh, simply follow his example, and then we'll have the right balance. Because we think, well, if I, if I uh, love my enemies and respect them and pray for them and give them a sucker, then I'm somehow supporting them. And Jesus rejects that. His followers uh, engage, but not in a, politic, not in a, a sappy way. Like, I'm sure everyone's fine. He knew where the boundaries were. I want to return, finally, in my remaining three minutes and 50 seconds. Because I have a 25-minute clock. I know my rights. <laughs> but I will end short. So think about what the passage Lamar shared from Romans 5. Even when we were enemies, Jesus died for us. Jesus, on the cross, looks out on those who have crucified him. They're gambling for his clothes, and it's totally degrading. But he has an attitude of love. Forgive them. I didn't gamble for his clothes. I didn't directly crucify Jesus. But I believe that I've been forgiven. I believe that I've been forgiven by Jesus Christ, the Lord. This is something that's quite stunning. We want, most people want to be saved. Salvation is a kind of insurance policy. They want to be saved from the consequences of their sin. Uh, they don't want to go to hell, or they don't want to, well, it could be almost anything. You know, I, I don't want a hangover. There are a lot of reasons you could not sin. But Jesus didn't come to save us from the consequences of sin only. He came to save us from sin, to change us so that we are men and women who no longer desire to sin. We're not saved from sin if we're still living like everyone else in our neighborhood. What's the difference? There's none. Your discipleship is bland. It's tasteless, insipid. He came to save us not just from consequences, but actually save from sin so we don't have to do it anymore. That's a, that's a serious point. My friends, keep these things in mind, Jesus and his enemies, as we now have our final song. Chase. Chase.